And it's so great to be with you. I feel like I want you to give yourselves a hand. I feel like there's so much might in this room. God is, as I was praying about today, I, I felt God say this to me. It was just like it came like a thunderbolt. The kingdom has come and the battle is over. The kingdom has come and the battle is over. That there, there is a new way of doing things. There is a new way, a new um, expression of Christ on the earth. There's a new expression of his kingdom on the earth, and you're a part of it. And that the, the battle to make it, the battle to survive, the battle to just eke out an existence is over. God has won on your behalf. He has made a way for you. And that doesn't mean there won't be difficulties or, or troubles, but it means that you've already won before you've started. That there is a powerful God available around you speaking to you working through you that there's already a, a decree made out of all made over all creation that that demonic interference hatred pain heartache cannot come and steal your joy and there's already been that declaration that that um, action through the cross that has destroyed sin and death on your behalf and therefore, we can live in a life that we've never imagined. I feel like part of us being on earth is to learn to live, to learn to live free, to learn to be alive. Like It's like the enemy has stolen from us what it means to truly be alive, to truly live, to truly have the joy and the, the life of who God is flowing through us. And I feel like what God is taking through us as a church, us through as a church, and even the nation of South Africa, is to learn to find our life in Him and to truly live, to truly live. Amen. So I'm trusting today that that will be some of the portion that you receive as we share on what on earth am I here for? How great is that? That you have a purpose in life. That God is doing something amazing and great in your life. That, that you're not an accident. You know, that you're not just, you didn't happen by chance. But in fact, God has... God has a plan. Before the foundation of time, he perceived you. He thought about you. And when he put you together, he put you together in a way that is absolutely specific. So many times, I, I don't know if you like me, but I, I you know, I, I have high hopes for my life. I don't know if you like that. You know, I want to do something with my life. I, I want to stand at the end of time and say, gosh, that was a great life lived. And, you know, sometimes when I, I find myself, like, just not meeting the mark, you know, just being a little bit less than I could be, or just, you know, I just, I just want to beat myself up a little bit. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you like that. You know, oh, gosh, why did I do that? You know, ah. And I, I've had God come to me time and time again saying this, I created you just right. Even your weaknesses are follow my purposes. Even your weaknesses are the things that cause you to need others and to need me. They are the very things that, that make you you and make, me, make you useful to me. And so, you know, I've learned over the years to say, God, you know, I, I'm, I don't accept sin in myself, but, you know, I accept my humanity. And I say, God, you made me for a reason. How you made me is a good way. I don't have to be like someone else. I can be like me, but I need to discover how me, the way you made me, is meant to operate in the kingdom in a way that brings your glory. And I feel for every one of you, this series is meant to do that. 
It's meant to highlight to you that, that God made you well. You matter to God. That you were created to receive his love. And you were created to give his love, to fellowship with other people. You were created to give his love back to him, to worship him. And today we're going to look at how you were shaped for his purposes. In other words, there, there are jobs and, and things and actions and actual, actual getting stuff done that you are meant to do on this earth. Things that satisfy your heart and satisfy you. So, Lord God, I just think as we move forward, Lord God, that you would, you would do this in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. You were shaped for God's purpose. You were shaped for God's people. <laughs> Thank you. You wondered what was going on in the front here. You were getting distracted by it. I was even. Now we know. Youth, if you are here, we do have youth on today and we would love to dismiss you. So can we, can we just give them a hand as they go? Thank you, Adam. We have some of the best youth services in the city, so we love what God is doing amongst them. You are shaped to serve God. I want to start with a particular scripture in John 6. And it is a story of when Jesus had this massive crowd around him. He had been teaching them. And you all know it, how he fed them. 5,000 men, it says. There were more women and children, but 5,000 men at least, at least. And he fed them with five loaves and two fish. You remember the story. Can we read it together from John 6? When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked, the, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, darling, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This, I love the story for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is when my children didn't want to tidy up and they, they were like... Um, Gosh, mom, you know, that's you being so hard on us. I said, even Jesus made his disciples tidy up afterwards. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is a very biblical thing. So that was one reason I really liked this parable. Um, also, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he folded, you know, the, the thing, that, the cloth that was over him, it says it was folded neatly in one place. You know, I just, I just, I'm just saying, for all you moms, you can use this. You don't have to pay me. It's just for free. But, um, so that's the one reason I like this parable. But the other, re or not parable, this miracle, should I say, rather, because it really happened. It wasn't a story. It really happened. But um, the other reason I really like this is because this is one of those miracles that it wasn't just one person involved. I mean, 5,000 men and however many women and children got food. 
but also the miracle depended on a lot of different people. First of all, there was this little boy with his loaves and fish. Now, I, I love this part of the story because it says he's a young boy, which means he, he was probably less than a teenager. He had five loaves of barley bread. Five, just think about this. I mean, how many of you have ever eaten five loaves in one day? He had five loaves of barley bread and two fish. I guarantee you, he had a mother like no other. You know, I mean, this mother is sitting at home. Oh, you're going to go and hear Jesus, and you're going to be out there the whole day. I'm going to give you food. And man, did she give him food. You know, it's like, oh, here's a loaf of bread. Ah, another loaf of bread. Ah, another loaf of bread. You know, how much can you carry? How much can you fit in? Five. We can get five in there. And these two fish, let's get them in there. You know, she, she was like one of those women that her children never, ever went hungry. So, so this miracle depended on a mother who, who's never even mentioned, who probably ground that barley with her own hands, worked it together, made that bread, probably dried that fish all alone, because I certainly hope it was dry, otherwise it would have been very smelly. You know, so she, you know, there was, there was labor behind this. And then there was a little boy and that little boy, I mean, how generous do you have to be? You know, I, I know little boys. You know, hungry little boys. You know, I can imagine him giving one of his loaves. Maybe even two of his loaves. But, you know, he gave it all. It was like, Jesus needs it. Here it is, five loaves and two fish. But then I also see so much more than that. You know, it's how do you feed 5,000 people, well, 5,000 men, so there are always more women in church than there are men. So there was probably like, I don't know, 12,000 people there. That's a guess. But how do you feed that many people? Even if you have enough food, how do you feed that many people? Jesus comes up with a plan. He asks the disciples to get them to sit down. And in the other accounts of this particular miracle, they get to sit in groups of 50 and 100. There are 12 disciples and 12,000 people approximately. I mean, that's 1,000 people per disciple. They have to organize into groups of 50 and 100. I guarantee you it didn't happen like that. Yeah. I guarantee you they had to walk out there and they had to say to this family, won't you move over here? Okay, get into a group of 50. And then, you know what people are like. You know, then they want to sit with that person. They want to sit with that person. I, you know, it took some time. <laughs> they got them into their 50s and 100s. Then Jesus breaks the bread and gives thanks, and he gives it to the disciples, and they have to go and hand it out. How long does it take to hand food to that many people? You know, they were working at this thing. And then, and then, at the end of it all, Jesus, I don't know where he got the baskets from, Sam once answered this question to me. I mean, where did the baskets come from? Those disciples must have had a very kind of like good way with the people because you're coming up to old Joshua over here and say, hey, that basket that you've got over there, can I, just, can I just borrow it? I don't know if you'll ever give it back, but you know, just... So somehow they got 12 baskets. And then they're going through all the crowds and they, they're picking up all the leftover bread. 
and there are 12 baskets left over. I don't know where those 12 baskets went. I hope they went with that mom. I, ho I hope they went home to that mom. I don't know where they went. But imagine that little boy comes with his friends home after the day with Jesus, and she knows she sent him out with five barley loaves, and now she comes in with, he comes in with 12 baskets. I mean, she was feeding her village for days. But what I love about this miracle is that it's kind of like the church did it. You know, it's not just like one person did a marvelous thing. It's like everyone got into the groove and did it. Everyone kind of did their thing and everyone contributed and everyone together saw this incredible, marvelous demonstration of God's power. There was not one person there that could actually multiply the food and, and fish. Only Jesus could do that. But it needed everyone's contribution to happen. And I feel this is so much a story of the church today, is that God is coming to do powerful things in our city. Really, he's coming, he's coming to destroy poverty. He's coming to alleviate pain and suffering. He's coming to bring life and prosperity and joy and goodness into every home, into every place. But it's going to take a church to do it. He's going to bring the power. He's going to do the miracles. He's going to do the spectacular stuff. But it's going to take us to get in there, to organize the people. I mean, how glamorous is organization? You sit there. No, not there. There. Oh, no, 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 not you, that other one. You know, it's, it's just sometimes it's just tedious and just has to be done. No one commends the disciples at the end. Thank you for getting them to sit in such neat groups of 50. You're amazing. I mean, they don't even get mentioned. All the glory goes to God at the end. But if we look at this honestly, we have to say, this is our call to be that, to, for the, the power of the living God to come through Jesus to the church. And then we are the, the hands and feet that actually make it happen. That actually make it happen. I wonder if someone went to that mother and said, gosh, those barley loaves were so great. I don't, I don't, I think they probably did. I think they were more in awe of the fact of how many barley loaves, how much bread there actually was. But, you know, if they did go to her, you know, she would probably think, you know, I make bread every day. This is just a very normal thing. This is not like a special gift I have. I, I notice this about people, is that the very thing that God has graced them to do, the very thing that comes easily to them, is the very thing that they despise. You know, it's like, oh, no, no, I'm not grateful looking after children so well, you know, because it comes so easily to you, you just, you just do it in your sleep. You know, oh, you know, no, I, I wish I had like a significant job to do except for, keep, you know, because keeping these books is just so ordinary. But the truth is no one else can do that. And the reason it feels ordinary to you is because God graced you to do it and it comes so easily to you. You know, and I, I find time and time again, people don't put their gift into the mix 
of what God is doing because they don't think it's anything special. You know, I've been guilty of that. It's like, you know, I, I remember when I was quite young, just really loving teaching people. <laughs> I mean, I taught my teddy bears. I taught everyone. And then as I became a mom, it became obvious that, that one of my children weren't going to do well in school because of learning disabilities, and I had to teach them at home. And, and I found myself doing the thing I loved at home, you know, just teaching. And my children happened to do really well, and people would come to me and say, oh my gosh, that's so amazing that you're doing it. And I would go, no, it's not so amazing. This is just what I want to do. You know, this is, I'm not trying hard to be this thing. It's just, it's just what I do naturally. And it's very easy to despise the things that God has given you. To think, no, that's not important. Because this is my grace gift. And it's the thing I love to do. That's how God is. The thing he has called you to do is the stuff you love to do. So the first concept I really want to talk about is it's not nothing. It's not nothing. What I mean by that is, is the thing you have that people, you know, people come to you and commend you and say, oh, that's so great how well you sung today, Bianca. And you're oh, it's nothing. <laughs> oh, I sing in the shower all the time. But it's not nothing. It's, it's something. It's something that, that given in the hands of God produces something incredible. There's a story in Second Kings about a widow who's, who's in great poverty and doesn't, her sons are about to be sold into slavery and she appeals to the prophet, come and help me. And he says to her, what do you have in the house? And she says, she says literally this, this, I have nothing except some oil. And you know, sometimes I think God comes to all of you and says, you know, I, we're saying to God, I want to be used. I want to be used. I want to be helpful to you. I want to do something significant. And he says, well, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your hands? What do you have about you? What, what are you busy doing? And you say, oh, nothing really. Just this, just this little accounting business that I have. You know, just this little um, makeup business that I have. Just this little, this little thing I have. And that's the very thing that becomes the avenue through which God does a miracle. Because that little oil she poured into as many jars as she could collect. And it became a business for her that she was able to support her family. David and Goliath, have you ever thought about if, if David was standing before Goliath and somebody had said to him, what do you have to kill Goliath? Oh, it's nothing, it's just five stones. But it was those very things, those very little, small, everyday things put in the hand of the master, put at the service of Jesus that make all the difference, that become the miracle. They become the miracle. Using your abilities to serve God facilitates miracles. Facilitates miracles. I have often been told, way back when, not recently, I've often been told that if you, wanted to, if you want to be great, then serve. 
And I interpreted it in my brain like this. If I want to do great things, I must start by serving. And at some stage, someone will notice me and promote me. How many of you have thought of that from time to time? I guess a few nods out there. And to my horror, I discovered that it doesn't always really work. That often people don't notice you. And often, no one promotes you. And I have to be honest, there are times in my life where I felt really angry about that. Don't you see what I'm doing? Why, why aren't you putting me on stage and saying what a fantastic woman Carol is? Why am I not getting the adulation that I deserve from all the sacrifice that I'm giving? And then God had to come to me and make it sound a little bit different. Serving is not the path to greatness. Serving is greatness. And when I changed why I served, everything changed. So when I was serving to get something, I got nothing. But when I was serving just for the sheer joy of having my gift in the miracle, of having my stuff count towards God's kingdom, when I was just serving because God was so great that he deserved my all, when I was just serving because I love to do this stuff, then suddenly I found a change happening in, my, in me. No one was promoting me, but suddenly I was just finding God was opening doors for me. God was making things happen. I found that I was becoming great on the inside. There was a change happening in me. And things seemed to change around me. And I'm not saying that, no, now you're going to say, okay, I'm going to serve, then I can get great on the inside, then great things can happen. No, the great things were happening all around me all the time. And I think what happened is the why changed. Like why I serve. I'm not serving to get something. I'm serving because I love Jesus. I'm serving because the, the joy I get out of just giving my gift into this incredible thing that God is doing on the earth today. Mark 9:11 says this, "The greatest among you will be your servant." Jesus, who is our ultimate example, said this. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I feel like there's something so powerful when I just say, God, this is not about me getting recognition. This is about me being with Jesus. This is about me doing the things that Jesus does. Because serving is greatness. Serving makes you a partner in God's sure victory. What I love about this is, remember I said, just the joy of putting my gift in the mix. God has promised, and he will not fail. 
He is building his kingdom on this earth. He is coming to rule and reign. He is coming to take over every institution on this earth earth will serve Jesus. Every nation will bow its knee. Every person will confess that Jesus is Lord. Sickness, disease, suffering, calamity, heartache will be destroyed on this earth. He's made this promise through Jesus Christ. We have a resurrection to prove it. It is, it is unstoppable. God, Jesus will stand again on this earth and he will say, mine. Everything that has resisted him, rebelled against him, hated him, worked against him, will be destroyed in that instant. It is, it is inevitable. The only question is, will you be a part of it? That's the only question. It, it is absolutely a sure thing. I don't know when, but I know it's coming. And I want on that day... To Jesus, for Jesus to look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You, you only had five loaves and two fish, but you put it on the table. You only had a happy countenance, but you put it on the table. You had a cell phone and you used it to phone people and tell them about Jesus or tell them about my love, you, to encourage people. You, you didn't have much, but you spoke to your neighbor. You didn't know what to do, but you served in children's church. You thought, I, I'm not wealthy, I'm not, I'm not good at all kinds of complicated things, but I can stand at the door and greet someone. And you did it. You put your gifts on the table and you said, use them, Lord. I want to be a part of it. It's you... You partnered with what God is doing. Service makes you a partner in God's sure victory. And the last thing I want to ask you is, how big is your God? You know, I, I think of that story I shared earlier about the, the widow with the oil. I'm going to just give you a brief synopsis of it because you'll need it to understand my point. So she had got into debt, her husband had died, and she had two boys, and they were her creditors, is that the right word? The people she owed money to. I always get that wrong, your debtors and your creditors. Those people she owed money to were coming to take her children as slaves in lieu of payment. I mean, she's in a desperate plight. The prophet comes to her, or she appeals to the prophet, and he says, what do you have in the house? And she said, oh, I have nothing except this little bit of oil. And then he tells her, you and your sons, go to all the neighbors. Go to all the neighbors and get as many containers as you can. Bring them and then start pouring the oil into the containers. You can read it in 2 Kings 4. And so she does. They go and get all the containers they can find from the neighbors. Again, the miracle is a corporate miracle. They put all the, the containers and they begin to pour the oil into the containers. And only when they fill the last container does the oil stop. And then she sells the oil, pay, pays off her creditors, and uses the excess to live on. I hope she started a business. You know what I'm saying? Selling oil. But now, if she had known beforehand that the oil would not stop until the last container was filled, would it have changed how many containers she collected? 
You know, if I knew that beforehand, I mean, I would have built, I would have got stones and I would have built a, like a vat in my kitchen. I would have built one outside. I mean, I would have, I would have brought my shoes. I would have, you know, there, there is nothing that contains something that I would not have put there. And I think sometimes our view of how much God can do, what God can do, how big and powerful he is, means that we only put a little bit forward. And I feel like God is so much bigger than any of us can perceive. That I want to promise you, you will never put enough on the table. And when you think you've done enough, just do some more because he will fill that too. And I feel like there is no end to what God can do for you if you just expand your understanding of who he is. And I've said this so many times. I think so many of our unanswered prayers are product of us asking too small. God saying, oh my gosh, you're asking for a job. Don't you know what I really want to give you? I want to give you a business that touches the heart of this nation. Oh my gosh, you're asking for a baby. I want to make you into a mother that will, that will touch thousands. There is, there is so much more in God's idea of how he's going to bless you than he's in your idea of what you want from him. And how big we believe God to be will, de will determine how much we get from him. Jesus made this fantastic statement in Luke 12, verse 32. He said, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not it's your father's good pleasure to give you a nice car. It is your father's good pleasure to give you a wife or a husband. It is your father's good pleasure, which means God stands rejoicing, screaming, woohooing, ululating. I mean, just, just having a blast at the thought of giving you everything. All of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his might, all of his power. The difficult situ situations you face are nothing more than a container for the oil he wants to pour out. I think God deserves a hand for that or something. I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, Lord. <laughs> I want to propose this to you. If you don't have enough problems, go find some other people's problems. Really, it's like, bring the vessels, you know? Like, God, God solved your problems. Go find your neighbor's problems and bring those before the Lord. Bring your neighbor before the Lord and say, Lord, she has a problem. As you solve my problem, solve hers. I mean, just go find the vessels. That just came to me now. I think that was the Lord. God will do greater things through you than for you. I think so often we get stuck in this, oh God, help me. Oh God, can't you see my terrible situation? And there's, there's some way that we position ourselves as like the poor person needing deliverance. And you know what, to some degree we all are that. But I think in Christ we are more than that. 
Now, now we are the, the person who's been delivered and we're the person through whom the deliverance is going to come. I mean, what is around you that you could put your gift on the table and God could use to liberate others? And I guarantee you this, that God didn't save you because you were a poor, miserable wretch. I mean, you were. <laughs> but he saved you because he saw his destiny in you. He saw a powerful warrior for the kingdom of God. He saw a powerful, strong, majestic carrier of his presence. He saw a kingdom bringer. He saw someone who could speak his words. He saw someone who could love like he loves. He saw someone who could organize like he organized. You could put systems in place like he can. Who could think like he can. And he saw you as an instrument of his glory coming to this earth. That's why he saved you. Because he has a purpose for your life and your gifts matter. You matter. When you put them on the table, he does something glorious. In conclusion, everyone has something important to give to the great work that God is doing on the earth. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand?